Hello, and welcome to the first of our Knowing Me, Knowing You of 2023. It's going to be a busy year for EU laws before 2024, which will be a quiet year when stuff shuts down as the European Parliament prepares for an election and a new commission will be appointed. That's the way of politics. 2024 would be what you might call a lame duck year. But what is on the agenda for this year is more than enough to keep HR people busy for years to come. That's on top of what many of them already have to deal with, like widespread restructuring in parts of the tech industry that never had to deal with such things before. The announcements have come thick and fast over recent weeks. Meta, Twitter, Google, Amazon, Salesforce and the rest. One US website estimates that there are over 200,000 jobs gone at the last count. When you tell employees that they are special, let them live in a bubble. Do not be surprised when the bubble bursts and they find out that they are not so special that they react badly. But in the growing years of tech, when there was a war for talent, what can you do? When the race is on, you've got to be in the race, even if you, you suspect it might end badly. The HR skill sets that are required when a company and a sector are growing are not the same as those needed when a company or a sector has to learn how to cut its cloth. Such is life. What was that phrase from the Matrix? Welcome to the real world, Neo. And the real world is never easy. It's a complicated place. But also keep this in mind when we think about what's been happening in the tech sector. These are still good employers, big employers with well-paying jobs. The numbers, 200,000, may look big, but they are on average less than 10% of the tech workforce. Not nice if you're one of the 10%, but some perspective is required. That 90% of those employed in the tech sector are still employed, unemployed on good pay and working conditions. That will continue to be the case because there are new emerging significant growth areas in tech. The whole AI revolution, for example, as new startups rush to take advantage of things like chat, GPT, I think that's what it's called. As the poet Tennyson once said, you know, the old order changes, given rise to the new, and to mix my poets, the Irish poet Yeats once said, what rough beast is this slouching towards Silicon Valley waiting to be born? Wondrous before us to behold. Enough on that, back to the EU. This year should see the Council and the Parliament reach agreement on new laws on the employment status of platform workers, corporate due diligence, and the AI governance framework. We'll come back to these a little bit later. Just before Christmas, Agreement was reached between the Council of Ministers and the Parliament on the text of a director on gender pay transparency. This is a big one. In my opinion, and that's the opinion of somebody who's been watching and tracking European law for the last 30 to 40 years, this is one of the most important pieces of legislation to be adopted by the EU in recent years in the area of employment law. What's involved? For a start, employers with at least 100 employees will have to publish information on the pay gap between female and male workers. In first stage, employers with at least 250 employees will report every year, and gradually that will roll out to encompass employers with fewer and fewer employees. You'll have to tell people, apply for a job, what the pay for the job is going to be, and how it might evolve over time. And you won't be allowed to ask prospective candidates what they were paid in the past. You need to tell them how their pay and career progression might evolve. 
pay is going to be broadly defined to include everything, everything that you can imagine, and not just basic pay and bonuses, but any other consideration or benefit related to the work. Employees and their representatives are going to have the right to ask for such information and to go back and ask for more information if the information you provide they think is insufficient. And where it's found that workers, male or female, by comparison, have been underpaid, compensation will have to be paid and there will be no limit on the compensation. And the burden of proof will fall on the employer. Sanctions will include fines. Yeah, always the way. So let's dig a little bit more into it because this is now a done deal. All we're waiting for is the text of the agreement that was agreed between the Parliament and the Council before Christmas to be written up officially in proper legal language, proper numbering and so on, and translated into all relevant languages. So where the data shows pay gaps of more than 5%, and as the EU gap is on average 13%, there have to be plenty of those 5% gaps. And if the employer cannot justify the gap on gender neutral grounds and or fails to close it within six months of it having been exposed, then they will have to begin a joint pay assessment with employees' representatives. No representatives? Elect them. Together with the employer, the representatives will have to do a deep dive into why the gaps exist and what can be done to close them. The data analysis must be done on a grade category basis. Company-level data will not suffice. For major multinational companies, believe you me, right across 27-odd countries in the EU, three or four or five facilities may be in several countries, this is going to be some challenge. And it seems to me that companies will have to put on the table, you know, during such exercise, how they go about making pay decisions, including the use of artificial intelligence and algorithms, and making it clear where human decision-making is involved. Identify grades and categories and appropriate comparators, not going to be easy. No comparators? Enter the hypothetical comparator. What somebody of the opposite sex would have been paid had they been employed. This invites arguments and litigation. So, not only difficult data collection and analysis, but also the possibility of what I call pay committees popping up all over the place in the absence of existent representatives. Now, you might say, ooh, I don't particularly like that idea. Then, would you prefer the Spanish solution, the one that's already in place based on existing Spanish law, where union officials from sectoral unions engage with you on such issues, even if they have no members in your company? I think I know what the answer might be. The new law will be formalized in the next month or so and will come into force in 2026. But now is the time to familiarise yourself with what is coming your way. Audit what you have and see what needs to be done. This is a case for close cooperation between human resources, employee relations and compensation and benefits teams. They'll have to work together. Best to start now or fairly soon. Scope it out. See what may be involved. Develop a strategy. See what works for your company in the light of your approach to employer relations and pay issues. But be under no illusion, transparency around pay is coming and coming soon. Well, it's coming down the track in 2023. Well, the employment status of platform workers is proving to be a difficult piece of legislation to write. Today, 
some 20 million plus people work in the gig economy in one way or another. Over the next few years, that's estimated to drift north of 40 million. Do they all want to be employees, as the union suggests? The unions will say they do. I'm not so sure. And neither are governments, if some of the discussions and thinking in the Council of Ministers is to be believed. 20 to 40 million. That's a lot of employment. A lot of people earning money one way or another. Many coming from tough backgrounds, finding a path through the gig economy into the labour market. Governments are conscious of that. They don't want to put that at risk. And we need to be careful that ideology from all sides does not get in the way of crafting a decent piece of legislation. Labour markets change. Everything cannot be the way it used to be. Full-time, nine-to-five employment, as the unions would want. I understand that. But neither should platforms be able to transfer all the social risks to employees by calling them self-employed. So this will be tough legislation to craft if a proper balance between employment creation, new ways of thinking about employment, and at the same time, some decency of employment standards and employment security is to be made to work. It'll be tough legislation to craft. Next up, and no less difficult, corporate due diligence. We in Berg ran a piece in a recent newsletter from Alex Voss, the German MEP, who advised against over-restrictive, over-prescriptive legislation. Now, of course, no one wants to see human rights abuses in supply chains. No one wants to see human rights abuses, full stop. But as some activists seem to demand, can multinational businesses really anticipate each and every possible abuse in their supply chains and eliminate them in advance, given that those supply chains are globally far-flung with suppliers, suppliers to suppliers? I'm doubtful. Did some of those in the European Parliament pushing hardest for the hardest form of due diligence anticipate and eliminate in advance the corruption in their own midst that has recently come to light. Now, let me make it clear. I'm not making this point in criticism of the European Parliament, which I believe, rightfully, is playing an ever-increasing role in shaping EU legislation. It's elected by and represents EU citizens. The point I want to make is that no one can be all-seeing and all-knowing. We cannot foresee and anticipate everything. The best we can do is our best in good faith. And that's what due diligence should mean. Corporations do the best they can do in good faith. The law should not be drawn in such a way as to hang them out to dry if they miss something as long as they then move to correct it as soon as they find it or it is brought to their attention. As the Bible says, let him who is without sin cast the first stone. And which of us is without sin? Finally, for today, artificial intelligence. No matter how you slice it and dice it, Artificial intelligence will play an increasingly part in our lives and businesses from now on. Much will need to be reimagined as the possibilities become clear. Personally, I welcome what AI can do for us. I'm old enough to remember a world without mobile phones, laptops, the internet, GPS. GPS, when you had to sit in a car with a map on your knee to find out where you wanted to go. I once ended up driving around the Arc de Triomphe in Paris because we misread the map. Try doing that when you're driving a non-French car. The challenge 
will be with AI governance. How to make it work for us rather than we work for it. In our world, the world of labor relations, employee relations, it will involve a lot of information and consultation. And again, we may be looking at the need for employee representatives to engage with us on these issues where they don't exist. We may need to elect artificial intelligence representatives, if I can coin that phrase. But management cannot be held hostage to information and consultation. At the moment, there's one amendment before the European Parliament, which would suggest that we can only introduce artificial intelligence-based systems with employee consent. I'm not sure that that would work because there's always some, one, two, three in any organization for whatever reason will withhold their consent. We need information and consultation, certainly. We need to involve employees, but we cannot be held, management should not be held hostage in such situations which is one of the reasons we in Berg and Major Policy Global are running a workshop in the next couple of weeks to explore all of these issues. The information, consultation, governance, human resources in a world where artificial intelligence is becoming more and more important, more and more dominant. Anyway, that's more or less enough for today. Um, as I said, certain important new legislation coming down the track this year, platform workers, artificial intelligence, corporate due diligence, but already we have the new legislation on gender pay transparency. And as I've tried to suggest during the last few minutes, this is going to be a significant issue. So now I've got to go and pack my bag and head to Brussels for our first Baird meeting of 2023. Talk to you again towards the end of the month. For now, goodbye.